Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. And I'm so glad that you're here today. Praise God. Let's take our Bibles and go to the first book of Samuel, chapter 1. I want to talk today about how you can get God's attention, even in a, even in a crowd. How about this? Even in a gigantic crowd, you can still get God's attention. Wow, this is fascinating. Fascinating. And what I'm going to share today is more than just a regular teaching, but it's also prophetic in nature because last night when I was in prayer, the Holy Spirit directed me to teach on this subject today, how to get God's attention in a crowd. So this is a prophetic message, I believe, that you're watching this not by accident, but you're watching this message because God has planned something for you to step into. And you have to understand that for every trial, challenge, or difficulty that we might face, there is a solution somewhere in the Word of God. And I know for many that hear this today, you will find your solution in this teaching of today's message. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would quicken the scriptures so that they will be alive unto us. We thank you, Father. This is our daily bread, and this is our prophetic nourishment, our prophetic word. We give you praise. Thank you in Jesus' name. And around the world, we say amen. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathame Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Penina. Now we are well acquainted with the miracle story of Hannah, but I want us to focus on a different angle concerning this story today. Again, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts, where? In Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. Praise God. My friends, it says that this man went up from his city yearly. He was required to do so under Mosaic law and to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. And at this time, the place of worship is designated as being Shiloh. Now today, again, I want to talk about how to get God's attention in a crowd. And in order to understand this spiritual mechanism, I want you to understand a little bit more about Shiloh. Praise God. The name or the word Shiloh can be translated as, uh, as being tranquil or peaceful. And it also has messianic overtones concerning the coming Mashiach, the Messiah. Now we know that that uh, Messiah has come. The Messiah is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Praise God. But he was prophetically portrayed through certain uh, names and certain even locations. And Shiloh has indicators of the coming Messiah. 
But I want us to understand more today about the village of Shiloh. Of Shiloh. And we have to ask ourselves, first of all, why were, at this time in Israel's history, why were they going to Shiloh? Because Shiloh was the religious and military capital of Israel during this time frame, right here in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, Shiloh today, and even back then, is about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. But you have to also understand, at this time, Jerusalem is not really in the mix. It's still in the Canaan land. It's in the promised land, but nobody has been able to capture Jerusalem yet. I'm talking about the Israelis, but they have been able to take Shiloh. And so Shiloh is functioning as the religious and military capital of the nation at this time. Shiloh was in the hill country of Samaria and would fall within the tribal area, the tribal boundaries of the tribe of Ephraim. Now, this is what's very, very fascinating, of course, about Shiloh. This is why Shiloh was so famous, which is the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant stayed in Shiloh for 369 years. Praise God. Now, previously, the Ark of the Covenant, for a short period of time, about seven years, had been in Gilgal, but it's now in Shiloh, and this is a pretty long period of time, uh, you know, 369 years. When you think about the the length of our nation, America, still just being a little over 200 years old, well, you can see that, yeah, 369, that's quite a long time for the ark to be parked in one particular spot. Now, this is also here in Shiloh, the first place where we see a transition from the typical tabernacle of the wilderness to what became not so much a tent structure, but more of a permanent structure. The old tabernacle or tent system that had been developed by Moses and those working under his insight and oversight, they had built the tent structure. But you know, after hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, there's a, there's a point where that cloth and those animal materials just begin to wear out. And so here a more suitable structure was developed for the Ark of the Covenant to be placed at and to have more of a, uh, not just like a, a, a temporary type setting, but something that was more solid, more solidified. Now, Israel would go up annually for these times of praise and these times of sacrifice. They would go up to the tent of meeting, and this all took place in Shiloh. Let's go just for a moment to the book of Joshua and see this. Joshua chapter 18. We're talking today about how you can get God's attention in a crowd within a vast multitude of people, and they could all be clamoring and calling out for the Lord's attention. But how you can do something that causes a distinction where God notices you and there is a divine response. That's what we're talking about today. Joshua chapter 18, verse 1. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together, where? At Shiloh, and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued 
before them. It's fascinating. Praise God. Now let's continue on because there is a situation whereas the tribes on the east of the Jordan River, they've gotten their land, but you still have seven tribes on the west side of the Jordan, and they have not yet possessed their land. Verse 2, but there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Now that's very important as people of faith to understand that even though we have promises given to us and in the mind of God, he's already given it to us. We still have to get up and go and possess it. So we need to make sure that we're always doing our part. Verse four, pick out from among you three men for each tribe and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord, our God, where is here. It is in Shiloh. Then the men in verse eight, then the men rose to go away. And Joshua charged those who went to survey the land saying, go, Walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, was in Shiloh for 369 years. Praise God. This is very, very interesting as we're moving forward in this study today. Now, from Shiloh, Reuben, I'm talking about the tribes, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they departed eventually for their homes that were, again, on the east side of the Jordan River. They were all gathered together there in Shiloh. But, you know, these tribes have said, we've already gotten our land. It's back on the other side of the Jordan. And now that we've done our part, we have fulfilled our responsibilities. We're all going back. But something happened in Joshua chapter 22, let's turn over there, where there was almost a war that broke out against the tribes, particularly these three tribes. There was a misunderstanding. And this, again, is why it's very important that we know context, that we don't try to maybe just read into something, but we need to ask questions. What is taking place here? Praise God. Let's find out. Joshua chapter 22 Let's go to verse 9. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. So these tribes are doing something good and pure, but the report goes back to the other tribes that, Hey, Reuben and the others, they're over there building an altar. Well, the first thing that the other tribes on the West of the Jordan thing is that 
You know what? That didn't take them very long to fall into idolatry. Now they're over there building an altar already. And so there is a pulling together of the tribes on the west side of the Jordan. And they basically are saying, yep, we're going to have to go to war against Reuben and uh, the half tribe of Manasseh and Gad because they've already gone into idolatry. So they're getting their army ready and they're preparing for battle. And the whole thing is a misunderstanding. <laughs> Let's go to verse uh, 26. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generation after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. So basically, this is a misunderstanding because Reuben and the others with him, they're really just wanting to make a memorial where they build this altar that their sons and daughters and grandkids can see that altar and realize we are all one nation, even though we live on the other side of the Jordan River. Verse 33, in other words, once they had explained it, verse 33, so the thing pleased the children of Israel. And the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So everything is good, but you can still see again how so much activity was headquartered in Shiloh. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is where decisions were made. This is the religious and military capital of the nation at this time. So there is a lot going on, my friends, there in Shiloh. Another interesting thing took place there in Shiloh. We had a situation where the tribe of Benjamin was almost literally wiped out. Most of the men were killed by who? By the other Israeli tribal members because Benjamin had done something very, very wicked. A Benjamite man had done something evil. And uh, I tell you what, it's so, uh, the, actually the men in the city, they did some very wicked stuff, sexually perverted stuff. And those within that tribe defended the guilty people, uh, the, the men that were full of guilt. So it showed that perversion had gone throughout that entire tribe, and the other tribes of Israel came together as one and attacked Benjamin and almost killed all of the men in the tribe. That created a very interesting dilemma. Let's take a look at that in Judges chapter 21. And by the way, let me say this. Just as Paul the Apostle said, a little leaven, and leaven is what we know as modern-day yeast, a little leaven can affect the whole batch. In other words, a little bit of yeast, put that little bit of yeast into the bread mixture, and it's going to affect the entire lump of bread. And he's talking about sexual immorality. He's talking about certain types of sins. And my friends, if you allow it, or uh, not only if you permit it in your life, but if you even, uh, you know, condone it and say it's okay for other Christians to do these things, then it spreads. It can spread. It can bring corruption. And that's what happened to the tribe of Benjamin. So God 
worked through the other tribes as they pulled together to attack their own brethren. And they're fighting against Benjamin and almost destroyed the entire tribe. Judges chapter 21, verse 15. And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for wives for those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? I mean, it was a incredible destruction, men, the men and the women, and because they were all tolerating this tremendous wickedness of sexual immorality, even perversion within their tribe. And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they were very aware of the binding effect of an oath, and they had all made an oath. None of us are ever going to give a wife to any of these leftover guys from Benjamin. So they had vowed that. So now, they, now they're stuck. Well, in order for the tribe to stay alive, uh, the few remaining men are going to need, uh, they're each going to need their own wife. Then they said, in fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in where? Shiloh. Mm-mm. A yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Labona. Therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go, lie in wait in the vineyards, and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards, and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh. Then go to the land of Benjamin, because now you got your wife. <laughs> you know, and now you can have children, etc. Then it shall be when their fathers or their brothers come to us to complain that we will say to them, be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not as though you have given the women to them at this time, making yourselves guilty of your oath. And the children of Benjamin did so they, so they took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. Praise God. By the way, there is a Jewish festival that is celebrated annually. It's a little more modern, but the Israelis call it the holiday of love, and it is a celebration of the young ladies that danced and the men that came and grabbed one, you know, because each guy would grab one and claim her uh, as his wife and uh, took her back to the village. So most of the rabbis believe that this modern day celebration, it's kind of similar to what we would have in the Western world of a Valentine's Day. They actually believe that it's rooted right here in Judges chapter 21. And where did it take place at? It took place in Shiloh. And so if you're watching today and you are of the age of marriage and you're not, you're not married, but perhaps you want to be, well, uh, there is a 
prophetic anointing. By the way, this is not the primary subject by any means of what I'm trying to bring across today, but it is something that would lie right in our path. So let's talk about it. There, there is a prophetic grace upon this day, and it's called uh, on the Jewish calendar. It's called to be of, T U B A V, to be of, and it's actually celebrated sundown, beginning sundown, August the 11th, and it ends the next day at sundown, August the 12th. So, you know, if you're single and want to get married and you're, uh, you're of, of the age to get married, et cetera, you know, so forth, and you feel you're ready, well, I'd tell you one thing, I would certainly be looking on that day. <laughs> Amen. And you have a heads up because you're just a few days out from that. Now, if you're watching this later, you know, you walk by faith, you know, you stay in the faith zone. But also, on times like this, there are special anointings that are poured out. And this is also um, a big wedding day in Israel. It's also viewed by the Israelis as like a matchmaking type day. So I, I would have your antennas up if you're wanting to get married on August the 11th from sundown beginning that 24-hour window. I wouldn't fall asleep. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's continue on. From Shiloh, the Ark of the Covenant is going to move. After 369 years, it moves to the house of Abinadab, and it stays there for 20 years. We see this in 1 Samuel. Let's take a look at that. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Praise God. Let me jump back over there. We're going to follow the Ark just for a moment from Shiloh. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Then the men of Kirjoth-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjoth-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Well, you also have to recall that this is the time after that the ark was taken into captivity by the Philistines. They were really excited when they got it. When they realized what they had gotten a hold of, they thought, this is too hot for us. So they sent it on down the road. And uh, once it got back into Israeli territory, it's parked for 20 years there at the house of Abinadab. Praise God. But that's not the final stay for the Ark of the Covenant. It is going to move on next to the city of David. You can read about that, 1 Chronicles chapter 13, uh, 14, and 15, because David has a heart to move it to, he wa- I mean, he wants it right next to his house, just about. So he's going to move it to the city of David. As we do know, there was an interruption that took place. They moved the ark inappropriately. Uh, Uzzah touched the ark. He died. And David thought, oh, this is too hot for me too. So the ark got temporarily parked again. At that time, at the house of Obed-Edom, we've talked about that a few months ago, actually a couple of weeks back. Uh, it's probably been about two months. Be anticipating the glory as the ark is in your presence, in your heart, and in your house. Praise God. But three months it stays at the home of Obed-Edom until David can't resist because he hears uh, how much Obed-Edom is being blessed. So he says, let's go get that ark. But let's move it the right way. And so they move it the right way. They take it to the city of David. It stays there for a while. And then eventually it's on to the temple of Solomon. 
Praise God. Now, after Israel was divided, after the death of Solomon, Israel was divided. Jeroboam, who was the king of the northern tribes, he erected these altars for the golden calf. And he put a golden calf in Bethel, and he also put a golden calf there at the altar in Dan. Now, I've been to the altar in Dan, and the altar is still there. I mean, you can literally see the place where the golden calf stood. So what took place eventually with Shiloh is that it fell into ruins and sadly came under the judgment of God. And it was all because of sin. Now, I need to share this with you about Shiloh before we dig a little deeper into how you can get God's attention, even in a crowd. Woo! Praise God. Psalm 78. Let's turn now to Psalm 78. And we're going to drop down to verse 59. When God, well, let's start in verse 58. For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their carved images. When God heard this, he was, excuse me, he was furious and greatly abhorred Israel so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had placed among men and delivered his strength in the captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. So God completely departed from Shiloh. Let's go to Jeremiah now, Jeremiah chapter seven, and the prophet Jeremiah gives us a little more insight into what happened there in Shiloh. Verse 12, but go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people, Israel. It was completely just destroyed in ruins and abandoned. Wow. Very, very interesting. Now today, Shiloh is an archaeological, uh, archaeological park. There's two parts. You have ancient, uh, ancient Shiloh, but then you also have the modern uh, village of Shiloh. And uh, this, is, this is something that's good to understand. This little oversight of Shiloh that we've been talking about helps us to get the right mindset. Because if you see paintings or pictures or drawings of Hannah at, at the tabernacle, and she's there praying. She's asking the Lord for a child because she's barren. She can't have a, a child. She can't produce. So often we see these drawings, and there's Hannah praying there at the tabernacle, and maybe there's like 15 or 20 people standing around, and we're left with this impression that this was a lonely, isolated hill with hardly anything going on, and she shows up, maybe there's just 20 or 30 people there. That, my friends, is not the case at all. How many Israelites went up annually to Shiloh for these special occasions that God commanded? The majority of scholars across the board say that consistently it was at least, if not more, probably more, but we're going to be conservative, it was at least 2 million Israelites. Wow. Now, I want you to let that soak in just for a moment. 
I don't want you to see Hannah there praying with maybe two or three people wandering around in the background on a lonely hill with the high priest sitting there and just hardly anything going on. That's not the way it was. There were at least two million people that would go up. Now, Shiloh sat on top of a hill, still does today. And that's where the tabernacle was at. But see, there's other hills that, sur- that surround the hill or the tail. They call it today, T-E-L. That means that's, that is a mound that has been built up over the many centuries. But see, there's other hills that are surrounding it. So while many of the Israelites would go up on the hill of Shiloh, they would also camp all along, all around that hill and all around the surrounding hills during those festivals. So at night, you would see fires all over the place, tents all over the place. It was jam-packed with anywhere from 2 million people and up. Praise the Lord. Now, let's go back with that insight to 1 Samuel Chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 3. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts, where? In Shiloh. Keep in mind that, that when he went up with his two wives, now one of the wives, Penina, already has children. So they are coming with their small entourage. But so are all of the other Israelites And so you've got a group of 2 million or more people that are coming up to Shiloh all at the same time. There is a crowd there. And when, when anytime there's a crowd, you have people with needs, you have people that are also sacrificing, that are also worshiping, that are also lifting up prayers. What does everybody want? They want to be heard. They want God to hear their prayers. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now watch very carefully what happens. Verse nine. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then, whoo, praise God. The angels were probably saying it's about time. Then, not, and she wasn't willing to do it until now. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, don't act like it's not there. Look, when there's an affliction there and something that won't go away, and it seems like prayer alone is not enough to move it, don't act like it's not there when it's still there. O Lord, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. She's dedicating him uh, to be a Nazarite, to be a, in other words, to be a holy man of God. Now watch verse 12. This is shocking. Get ready. I want, and please pay, pay very careful attention to what I'm, I'm sharing right now. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched your mouth. <laughs> Did you catch that? Now think about this just for a moment. Remember, you've got 2 million people that have come up to Shiloh. 
You've got two million people. But the moment she vows, she vows a vow. Suddenly, Eli, God's representative on the earth, notices her. Mm-mm. Now, he, he's got the wrong idea in his mind. He has preconceived something that's not accurate. But here's, that's going to get sorted out. But here's the main thing. She has already caught God's attention. The moment she vowed a vow, God's agent on the earth recognizes her out of two million people. It's God. It's God. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise God. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah, see, she's got God's attention already. Finally, finally, incredible. Wow. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. By the way, a drunk person can't talk like this, uh, with this kind of uh, coherent, uh, intelligent, and heartfelt speech. You can't do that when you're drunk. (laughs) Trust me, Eli, he can put that together. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli, he could, he could figure that. He could see through that. Okay, she, yeah, she's solid. She's obviously just really, something's really troubled her. She's in grief. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She ate. Why? She's got it. She knows she's got it. She's no longer sad. Why? She knows she's got it. (laughs) She knows she caught God's attention because he is God's man representative on the earth at that time. He's the high priest. Wow. Glory to God. Well, how do you catch God's attention? How do you get God's attention in a gigantic crowd of 2 million people all coming? Now, they, they can't all come at the same time. We understand that. But look, this is not like 5 or 10 people walking around and ain't nothing going on here. No, there's at least 2 million people that are coming there, many all at the same time. Others are just wanting to get in. Uh, you know, th- this place is jam-packed, and everybody wants God's attention. How do you get God's attention? in a crowd. Well, this is, this is why these stories are in the Bible, because there's a solution. Whatever you need, there's a solution somewhere in this book. And I present to some of you, not to all of you, but to some of you that prophetically this is exploding in your heart as revelation, that you really need to consider vowing a vow to the Lord. Now, let me also say this. Some of you, there are a few of you that you have actually uttered a vow. And God's now saying it's time for you to walk it out and do it. That which you vowed to do, you're in that prophetic moment when you must now complete it. If that is, if you want God to do his part. See, a vow is very interesting because a vow has an element of making a deal with God. 
Sometimes it's staggering to me that Christians never think of what maybe God wants. All they think about is what they want. And they're bringing prayer requests all the time. Oh, God, do this for me. God, do this for me. God, do this for my children. God, do this for my marriage. God, do this for my church. God, uh, do this. On and on it goes. On and on it goes. And sometimes they never really think, what does God want out of this? Well, Pastor Stephen, you mean God wants something? Yes, that's the whole initiative of, of an oath. You're barren. It's not working. It's, uh, watch this. Watch this. Prayer by itself is not even working. Oh, Pastor Stephen, God answers prayer. I have a bumper sticker that says God answers prayer. I've, I've given out t-shirts to church members that says God answers prayer. Not always. Not always. Not in the life of Hannah. My friends, read the Bible. These stories are in the Bible. She couldn't get her prayer answered. <laughs> and some of you just, you can't seem to get it answered either. I know what I need to do, Pastor Stephen. I need to pray more. Oh, I'm sure that's Hannah went through that whole thing, going up year after year after year, and she's still barren. It's not working. It's not working. What do you do when something is not working? You get into the Word, and you find the solution, and the Holy Spirit leads you to it. Praise God. And I, I know for many that are watching this message today, God wants you to consider vowing a vow. Praise God. And keep in mind, uh, this is how Hannah got her miracle. Mm, 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 mm. Well, Pastor Stephen, I thought Jesus said, don't make vows. Let's take a look at that just for a moment. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 5. Let's see what Jesus himself said. Matthew 5, verse 33. This is Jesus talking. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. By the way, that's why you need to go to Jerusalem. That's why I would like for you to come to Israel with me. You need to go to, the Jeru to Jerusalem. Why? It's the city of the great king. Amen. Familiarize yourself with the city before the second coming return of the Lord. Amen. Be ahead of the curve. Praise God. Now, it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. What is, when, when you study the context and you read through it slowly and look at what Jesus is saying, what is he actually endeavoring to get across to us? Well, he's not condemning vows and promises. He's also not condemning contracts or agreements and saying, you shouldn't ever do that ever again. That's not what he's saying. What he's coming against is making vows or heavyweight statements and making them very foolishly, either out of a spirit of immaturity or maybe out of a soulish spirit of getting worked up and you're very emotional and you just, you know, very spontaneously make this very heavyweight vow. He's saying, don't 
do that. Yet, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. But he is not coming against vows. Can you imagine on your wedding day when it's time to take a vow of commitment uh, your, you know, to your spouse and your spouse says, well, I don't take vows. Uh, you know, I, th- this may not work out, so I'm not making a vow. Well, that, that means they're not willing to commit. So he's not against vows. He's not against contracts, legal contracts, because trust me, with some people, with some, even some Christians, you better have a written contract that can be verified and held up in court because <laughs> they may say their yes is yes and their no is no, but then you find out, oh, you know, they're not keeping their word. So in many situations, you absolutely do need contracts and commitments. So the Lord is not against vows or, you know, agreements. He's just against uh, doing these things without thinking it through about what you're actually doing it. Praise God. Uh, Acts chapter 18 and verse 18. This is the apostle Paul. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centuria for he had taken a vow. Wow. Praise the Lord. You know, one time I was ministering in Southern California and I got to the church, you know, early because I want to be there early because I'm going to be ministering. I I was the guest speaker and I did not see the pastor, but I I saw his wife and she said, oh, Stephen and Kelly, come on into the back room, kick back and relax. And you know, the, the church service starts and then the pastor's wife, she went out she was really the one that uh, ran the church. Uh, he was he was always there, but he had uh, and he was a pastor. But she was really the apostle that had founded and got the church rolling. But anyhow, she went out, and Kelly, my wife, went out, and the service started. And I'm back in the back of the room, uh, you know, just hanging out. And I'm I'm going to go out there in about 15 minutes. But I'm just waiting for any last uh, information from headquarters to come to me from heaven. And as I'm sitting back there in the pastor's office by myself, the Lord spoke to me and he said, tell Jeff, and that that was the name of the pastor, Jeff. Uh, He said, tell Jeff that he needs to shave his head. I said, um, I said, Lord, you mean like shave it, like ball hit it? He said, yes, absolutely. And uh, the Lord had revealed to me that he had completed a vow that this pastor, Jeff, he had completed a vow. And so the Lord told me to tell him to shave his head, bald headed. And, you know, he had a nice head of hair. At least he did last time I saw him. And, um, and he's a big fellow too, like six foot seven. And I, I said, well, wow, Lord, uh, okay, might as well. I'll just go for it. And by the way, this was kind of like a wild prophetic church. So I had liberty there to just they, they, they trusted me. So I could, I have a, I had a lot of freedom. So I just said, Oh, okay, Lord. <laughs> yeah. They're all kind of crazy. Anyhow. Yeah. I'll just tell him he needs to shave his head. And when I did that, when I committed in my heart to tell him that, uh, I felt like a peace and somehow the Lord was just going to take care of things like almost like anyhow. So I walked out, uh, cause I had heard from the Lord and sat down on the front row. And, uh, it's like three minutes later, Jeff showed up. The, the pastor, and he just got there. Nobody had seen him. His wife had not even seen him yet. And when he walked into the sanctuary uh, area, when he walked in, the whole church saw him, and he was completely bald-headed. 
on the way to church, he was going to come to church and he stopped. And before he came, he shaved his head completely, ball hit it. So when I'm back there sitting there and the Lord says, tell him to shave his head, he hadn't done it yet. But I said, well, Lord, I'll, okay, I'll tell him. And when I committed to telling, uh, at that point also, Jeff yielded to the Holy Spirit and he just went ahead and shaved it. That, that way I didn't have to even tell him to do it. He finally yielded and did it. But if he hadn't, I was right there in line to tell him, you need to do this. So very interesting how God works with vows and the completion of vows, the beginning of a vow and also even the completion of one. You see this with the Nazarites, with the, with the vow being fulfilled with the shaving of their head. They've made an oath. They have vowed a vow. And when it's completed, there is a, uh, there's a marker uh, for that. Sometimes it would be the shaving of the head. By the way, when he walked in, when Jeff walked in with his bald head and, you know, the church couldn't believe it, uh, they wanted me the minister. So I just went ahead and took the mic and I said, uh, because you've obeyed the Lord, the Lord is going to help you to establish a radio station and he's already given you the DJ for the Lord says, I've already given you the DJ. And the pastor Jeff was standing there listening to me say this and his right hand assistant who I'd never met before didn't know his right hand assistant was named DJ. <laughs> and so the whole church was laughing. I couldn't figure out why they're laughing because they all knew his name. And so I'm saying that God's God has already given you the DJ and they're thinking, yeah, he's standing right there next to him. So all of these things, God, my friends takes a very serious vow. He takes it very, very serious. And when you're willing to work a deal with God and you really mean it and you, and you lock into it and you commit to it, you're touching something here that's very sacred, very holy, but also very powerful. And this oftentimes can be the final card that you can pull that, that causes God to come on the scene and it gets his attention even in the midst of millions of people who are all lifting up prayer requests, who are all giving uh, uh, offerings and all are worshiping. It's something that you should consider when prayer alone is not revealing itself to be enough. It could be that God wants something out of this and you need to inquire of him and work that out with him through a holy vow. Praise God. Now, sometimes it's rare Sometimes, I would say maybe three times a year, I do get an, an email, maybe three times a year, where the person sending me the email is puzzled and stumped and cannot figure out why their prayer is not being answered. And they have all the scriptures right, they have their faith working on certain promises, and they've got it all lined up right, but yet it's not happening. And it hasn't happened for years. And they're like, what in the world is going on? So in these rare cases, when I get an email like that, I often reply and respond back to them. And, and understand it takes time to do that, to explain it a little bit and to get them to consider, have you ever thought about vowing and making a holy vow? In other words, uh, vowing a vow to the Lord. Because there could be something that the Lord wants out of this, and he wants you to work with him in this area of a vow so that he will do this miracle that you're asking him to do. And again, a vow implies there's something that God wants, 
And you have to be willing to surrender that area that he wants to him. Now, let me say this. Out of the years that I have answered those types of emails, and remember, they're kind of rare. They're the, they're, the, they're, the, they're the situations that stump you, and you can't figure out why the prayer is not getting answered. So I would say on average maybe three a year, but over, over a couple of decades now, and getting those emails and responding to them, listen to this. I have never once ever heard back from one person that I've ever responded to in this manner. When they, when they are sending me an email and they're saying, doesn't, we don't understand that Pastor Stephen, God won't answer our prayer. We're doing this right. We're believing God, trusting God, this, that, and the other. We pray, and, 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 but the years are going by. Something's not working. Never once when I've responded to these Christians, these God-fearing people, have they ever once written me back and said, thank you, we'll consider that. You know why? Because it's not an option for them. I'm just being honest. It's not. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. What made Hannah different is that she vowed a vow and she was willing to do it. She's willing to give up her son. She says, God, I can't, I don't have a son, but if you give me one, I'll give him to you. (laughs) God says, Hey, you're the kind of person I can work with. (laughs) And I'm, I'm telling you, there is something about a vow that will cause you to get God's attention even in a crowd of millions of people. And they all, all the others want something from God. It's wild. It is an untapped mystery within the kingdom of God. Obviously, Paul understood it because he, he had made a vow and he shaved his head. He understood that. The Jews understood the gravity of it. Now, of course, in Jesus' day, it was being abused. Uh, even today, you hear people, they just throw these words out. I swear on the Bible that I believe that. Or I swear on my uncle's grave that I'll do it. Or, you know, weird stuff like that. That's, that's what Jesus was coming against. Don't be saying these things. You don't even know what you're talking about. A true vow, you better really mean it. And you better be really committed to it. Because if you, if you really do mean it, you're going to grab God's attention. But he will also be fully expecting you to come through with what you committed to do. And I think that's why I don't hear, hear back from those that ask me. And I, I reply and say, have you considered vowing a vow along with all the prayers you've been lifting up? I never hear from them. <laughs> why? <laughs> they don't want to cut a deal with God. They want it their way. So they, I don't know what they do. I guess they move on to some other preacher who maybe uh, says, well, try this, try this, try that. Pray more. You know, whatever the case might be. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's an answer for anything that you need somewhere in the Bible. And last night, the Holy Spirit instructed me to teach on this today. Because for some, it's going to be the thing for you that causes you finally to get God's attention, even in the midst of a crowd. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I could teach more on it, on the New, Te- the New Testament theology of a vow, the overall biblical theology of a vow. But there's some, they're just, they're not going to do it no matter how much of a golden promise it is, because if God gives them a son, he's, he's theirs to keep. And they're gonna, he's going to be, he's going to be either 
raised up to be a football or a star, to be an athlete, or he's going to be raised up to be a doctor. And they're like, no, God, you can't uh, give me a son, but you can't have him. <laughs> give me a miracle, Lord, but it's, it's got to be all mine. I can't, I can't bear to let you have any part of this. Wow. Mm, 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 mm. And again, Hannah prayed every year, God, give me a child. God, give me a child. God, give me a child. Going up to the feast, going up to Shiloh every year. God, give me a child. And she's just one of millions, one of millions. But the moment she got real with God and got serious and made a vow, suddenly out of, out of at least two million that came to that feast, suddenly the instant she prayed it, God heard her. <laughs> the, I'm telling you, the moment she finished, the moment she finished, there's a divine response. And that's not luck. That is not luck. That's, that's God. You caught his attention. Lift your hands. Father, I pray for those that are watching today. There are some that have been puzzled, stumped. God, why? God, what is going on? But Lord, I just thank you. I just thank you that for those that are, this is grabbing their hearts. Let it be their Hannah moment, which also conveys complete, absolute surrender and a willingness, oh God, to, to work with you in an area perhaps they weren't willing to work before. Now, Father, we give you praise. I thank you, Father, that the Hannahs are extremely rare. I thank you that those that are really willing to vow a vow and mean it are extremely rare. Thank you, Father God, for those that walk in the fear of the Lord. They know the gravity of this. Even as Hannah's husband said, uh, you've got your child. You better get him up to the tabernacle, get him to the temple. And she said, let me just wean him. Then we'll do it. Father, I thank you. There are those that understand the weight of this, but it's not something to be fearful. It's just something to be embraced actually with the joy, with the joy. And so father, even as Hannah knew she got your attention, she, now she's hungry. Now she's ready to eat. Now she's laughing. <laughs> now she's having a good time on the way home. Oh, Lord, and the, the child came. Father, I just thank you that for quite a few that are watching this, this is what they needed. Now, we thank you, Father, that while we need many uh, things for our spiritual diet, this is a prophetic message today intended to grab the hearts of those select ones where they know that this is their answer they've been looking for. Father, we thank you. We thank you. And I thank you, Father, that although I've, I never have received an email response from anybody that I've ever suggested. Have you considered a vow? I thank you that there will be <laughs> a response from somewhere out there in the multitudes that I speak to, because father, I thank you. This message goes around the world. There will be some that will say that words for me and they'll have a miracle testimony. And I thank you father that eventually that'll drift back to me. Just like the following year, it came back the good report to the high priest. So I just give you praise. I thank you, Father God. Bless your people today, and we thank you for your word. We thank you. It's the answer book to all of our questions. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Now, if you're watching this message today, and you need a miracle in your life, but you don't know Christ, every miracle begins with being in a right relationship with God. So get saved, give your heart to Jesus. Amen. And position yourself.
for God to hear and answer your prayers. If that's you and you don't yet belong to Jesus, pray this prayer right now. Say, Jesus, I've been a sinner. Come into my heart. Save me right now. Wash all of my sins away with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life. And Jesus, step into my life and lead me and guide me from this day forward. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Praise God. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. Well, let's all take communion together. If you're a Christian, you can take Holy Communion. Grab a little wafer, a little piece of bread. I've got mine right here, this little tiny wafer. And grab some grape juice. It doesn't have to be an olive wood from Bethlehem like my cup is. I just like that. Hallelujah. I like Bethlehem a lot. I love Israel. Praise God. So I'm drinking mine out of this olive wood that comes from there. But you could be a plastic cup from Costco if that's all you have. Praise God. Grab some grape juice. Let's pray. Father, we bless the bread, the juice. We set it apart as holy through this prayer. We thank you that this is now the flesh and the blood of Christ. We thank you, Father, that Jesus is a miracle worker. He does incredible miracles. And we thank you, Father, that we come into these miracles through biblical principles. We thank you, Father, that one of those divine principles, as unveiled in Scripture, is a holy oath or vow. We thank you, Father God. We now receive the flesh of Jesus. And we thank you that we don't ever make an oath or a vow unless we know that we're all in and that we and you are on the same page together. We thank you, Father God. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive. Let's receive. Praise God. Glory. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus, the cleansing from all sin. We thank you, Father, that as Jesus hung on the cross, he was whipped, beaten, had all these gouges and deep serrations because of the scourging. We thank you that all of our sins are in those wounds somewhere. All of our sin is also upon him. So as he hung on the cross, he paid the price, the penalty for our sins. We thank you, Father, that we understand that it's we ourselves, we put Christ on the cross. We know the Roman soldiers nailed him to a cross, but it's our sin that put him there. So, Father, you forgave us through his sacrifice. And so, Father, right now we forgive anybody who has sinned against us. We completely forgive, bless, and release them. We thank you, Father God, for purity and holiness through the blood of Jesus. We thank you for protection and strength. We thank you, Father God, that all of your promises are yes and amen. And we thank you for the great work you're doing. Thank you that as we receive the blood of Christ, we thank you for union with you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us now receive. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Hannah came back the following year and had little Samuel with her and her husband. 
And uh, once he was nursed and weaned, then he's off to the tabernacle. And he grew up there at the house of God and became at that time the preeminent prophet in the nation. A standard of integrity and truth, of morality and ethics. Praise God. He was God's man. Hallelujah. But I tell you what, thank God for Hannah. You know the amazing thing, it says the Lord closed her womb. And um, it wouldn't have mattered if you got the top 100 greatest healing evangelist on the earth to pray for her. <laughs> no, there was a divine blockage for a divine purpose that she might humble herself and yield and consider what God wants, what God needs, and meet him at that point in prayer through a vow. Amen. She wanted a child. Isn't that interesting? Because at the same time, God wanted a prophet. Amen. But all the other mothers didn't want their sons to be prophets. They had other plans for their sons. So God wanted something, and he was intent on getting it. For those that this message is connecting uh, with your heart, God wants something from you, through you. Amen. Work that out with God in your prayer time, with the Holy Spirit. Get on the same page with God, and then from that perspective, with good understanding, and with a holy solemnity, with a holy soberness, then you can make a vow. Praise God, and then you'll be rejoicing just like Hannah. Amen. And also, I'll tell you this, God will also do something to confirm that He has heard. In other words, there will be a divine response even before you see the miracle happen. Praise God. Well, thank you for watching today. I look forward to seeing you back next time. I'll leave these things with you. They're sealed by the blood of Jesus. The enemy can't steal it. Hallelujah. Thank you for watching. God bless you. Have a great day and a great week. Bye-bye.